<laughs> you, you don't know why? Because as long as he stays, United aren't that much of a threat. <laughs> you know what? That was the first game that really finished me off, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that was the first game. That was the game that finished me off. Sanfield. Oh, <laughs> I, I keep hearing that. Oh, it's, it's not my fault if you can't fill your stadium, it? It's not my fault. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Tell them, tell them, tell them. The Breakdown Podcast. What's good, people? You're tuned into The Breakdown Podcast. This is episode 25, I believe. Got the full team on the podcast today. Everybody present, everybody here. Some people smiling, some people sad. <laughs> but we'll get into that later anyway. Just want to say a big shout out to everybody that's listening as well. I see new spots popping up in America all the time. Every week I'm looking, there's a new space. So big shouts out to everyone that's listening for the first time. We're live on YouTube as well. So if you want to come and join us, 7pm UK time on YouTube, jump in the comments, send us a message. You know what I mean? We're more than happy to oblige you. So, anyway, um, have to introduce everybody. Let's do, we'll start with the, the man who had no fixtures this 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 weekend. He's just sitting pretty games in hand for his team. He's even wearing the shirt today for those that are watching. You know what I mean? He's wearing the shirt today. He's enjoying himself. What are you saying, Jay? Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? I never wear um, an Arsenal top, but this is... You know, a Puma one, so it's pre-Arteta, I believe, so no problems there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm Jay, um, Arsenal fan, as you can see. Um, and yeah, we, we're, we're in with a shout, so what can I say? <laughs> you sound upbeat. Sorry, T? You sound upbeat. Upbeat about... Uh, about investing about... Maybe it's Arsenal. Maybe I'm not too sure. Maybe it's for you, for you to tell us. Um, we're sitting pretty, mate. We're sitting pretty. <laughs> couple so results, Arsenal, couple, yeah. couple results went our way so recently. So can I say enjoyment? Cool. So what you say, what you saying, T? You happy? Good, you enjoying yeah. the, the community shield win? Sorry, I mean, sorry, Carabao <laughs> Cup, man. Sorry. Oh, that. is it? Yeah, is that how we're starting off? <laughs> is that how we're starting off? You enjoy you know, it, man. You want a trophy? The thing is, it's fine because this just adds to my story, and you know, it's all good, man. Um, firstly, I am I am happy about the win, um, but my brother here, I don't think deserved to lose. To be fair, um, so I'm not very happy about that, but. You know what? You win some, you lose some. So it's ways. It is what it is. Obviously, um, Kofi, boy, Chelsea right now in the hands of trustees. <laughs> or sort of sense. Losing the product you shoot out. Yeah. Yeah. Or so they say. Um, I, I'll be honest. That like, I think I think when it goes to, when it goes to a penalty shootout, at that point, it's kind of like, what more can you do? It's it's a fifty fifty lottery. Do, do you know what I mean? Obviously disappointed with the with the loss in the end. I felt like the, the team did enough to win the game, but yeah, it's just like T said. I mean, to Brav, what, what can you do? And you know, congratulations to them, Brav. The, the game was it was a marvelous game. Um, I watched a bit of it back today as well during work, so no, I really took that in again. No, it was good. It was good. But yeah, you win some, you lose some. What can you do? Yeah, it's just, it's, it doesn't matter anyway. That cups, 
you know, it's just one of them. If you want it, it's nice. If you don't win it, you know, it's cool. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say it's cool, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't win what was presented to you in it. But yeah, do, do you know what was funny? Yeah, I think what, what was funny to me was seeing the reactions afterwards. Yeah, and then I was just seeing like I, I can't remember which Liverpool player tweeted it was like, Yeah, one of four trophies we're going for. I was just like, Okay, mm. <laughs> what, what did I say to you, Jay? What did I say to you? The, the thing is, it, I'm not well, saying... Said it, it? <laughs> the thing is, I ain't saying it can't happen. I ain't saying it can't happen, but I was I was interested to see. Obviously, it was a good game, um, and we'll get onto that afterwards anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I want to I wanna kind of cover Arsenal first, because Arsenal didn't play this weekend, but somehow enhanced their grip on <laughs> on the top four, um, which is interesting. Obviously, Manchester United, true with Crystal Palace, I haven't got the energy to keep talking about United anymore. Um it is. Oh no, not with Crystal Palace. Sorry, they drew with uh, Watford. 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 Um, nil, nil, and stuff like that. But I want to talk about Arsenal. I want to talk about Thomas Partey in particular because off the back of Arsenal's result with um, Wolves was Wolves, wasn't it? Two one win. Um, Arsenal won. After off the back of that, suddenly Thomas Partey. Everybody's talking about him, and everybody's like. Raven, I'm hearing Rolls Royce, and I'm hearing all these terms with the player. Jay, why do you think that is? Why do you think that now, all of a sudden, he's a Rolls Royce after some some of these same people were just were saying he was awful before? Um, I keep it short and sweet. I think not uh, people or those people that are saying that haven't watched enough of Thomas in his career, essentially um, at Arsenal, but at Atletico as well. Um, he's a type of midfielder, I think, um, and at times probably hasn't been deployed. Um, the best under Mikel, but sometimes to do with um, the personnel that are available to Arteta. So I'll have a go at him about that. But yeah, I think Thomas has been putting up some of these um, performances for Arsenal and also previously for um, Atletico Madrid. And if you've watched him um, in the Liga and and in the Premier League um, as well, you would have seen that he is capable of these types of um, performances when he is deployed in the right way. So what would you say that de- that right way is, though, like to deploy party? Um, I think first, if you want to deploy a party, you've got to, he's got to play in a two. Um, he's got to play with a partner. He's, I think there's a bit of a misconception that he came in as a, as a DM um, or he can play as a DM. Um, and he plays a O-level side. He can go with playing as a DM. But it's certainly not a role that suits him. Um, he is, I would say, his strengths are passing and his press resistance and his dribbling, actually, um, particularly in transition. So I know, like, for example, um, against Liverpool in the Champions League, there was big raves about him there as well. Um, some of it for his anticipation of, you know, anticipation of what the opposition is doing him helping break down moves, but also his his ability to get out of um, being pressed 
um, and then start dribbling and actually carry the ball forward for, for Atletico. Um, and he's done that as well for Arsenal. And I think against Wolves, again, he displayed that, his press resistance and his range of passing. Um, and that that's where he excels at. Um, I think there's been probably a misconception by some that he's he's a DM and then all of a sudden, oh, you know, he's dribbling past people and he's, you know, he's got all this, you know, skills with his feet, quick feet and whatnot. And um, that's not true. Uh, so, yeah. So you think it's people, people basically, people thought he was a DM and therefore they probably were looking at the wrong things when they're trying to assess how good he is or, or how rubbish he's been. Yeah, I think so. Um, don't get me wrong. He can do his, you know, destructive work in terms of the position, but it's the way he's he's deployed. I think if you're going to, there's like I said, there has been certain occasions where he has played the, as a lone DM. And he's played with two eights, uh, Smith Rowe and uh, um, who are quite attacking. And reminds me of actually um, when Kante went to Chelsea and he started off. Um, my good. Yeah, and he started. Um, he started off playing as. Um, as a lone DM at Chelsea under Conte. Um, obviously, Conte gets through his fair share of, of defensive work and, and whatnot, but it's within the right role as a, with a partner, um, as well as the other aspects to his game. So it's the same thing with with Thomas. You, when you're playing as a lone DM, you've got to be very fit, very, very fit, and because you're covering big spaces. Um, Big, huge spaces, particularly in the modern game um, where fullbacks are pushing up as well. You're covering even more space and having less help, um, shielding mm. the defence. Um, and you you need to, essentially, sometimes you need to be, you have to have a mind of a defender um, as well um, and be able to anticipate, you know, where to be on the pitch and um, be a very high volume passer, like very, you know, you know, picking these um, short passes, creating angles for your defenders or your goalkeeper to um, give them options and whatnot. And not saying that Thomas can't do that, he can at a basic level, but that's not where his strengths lie. Um, so, yeah, you got to look at him for the play he is and then judge him off of that. And, you know, part of that is to do, with obviously, the management, putting him in that position. Um, and so there was, actually, when Arsenal did buy at first there was like a, okay we're buying a really really good midfielder here but what's his role going to be within the current Arsenal setup is it gonna you know so I think if we stay if you know, if we stay like this and we play him in the strongest position then you'll see the best of him you'll see him help Arsenal yeah because it's mad because like I think the ways in which people look at sort of roles and responsibilities when it comes to a defensive midfielder versus a central midfielder is two different things. The the type of running that a defensive midfielder is going to do and the type of running that a central midfielder is going to do is two completely different things. Like, if you're looking for Partey's patterns of movement, he's always showing for the ball. He's always showing for the ball. But he's not necessarily the most, um, how can I say, the most athletic when it comes to when it comes to him having to make a dash, when it comes to him being 
consistently on alert. But as soon as he gets, like you're saying, like people wouldn't even talk about like his, his dribbling ability, you know, his ability to actually beat players. Like when this guy picks up the ball and drives past people, it's obviously people are going to think, wow, where's that come from? But I think they just stereotyped him straight away. He's a defensive midfielder. But because he doesn't run up and down and everywhere like Kante does, do you get what I'm trying to say? It's kind of like it's 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 a bit less obvious kind of thing. It was less obvious. And um, like you're saying, people with, with Kante, they just see him in a one-dimensional way. Obviously, we, we, you've seen even how he's deployed for France in a more, uh, potentially a more advanced position, him making runs and stuff like that. I just think it's different. It's important that people look at Partey for what he is and what he's not. I also feel like um, in the Arsenal side, I feel like Shaka was more looked at as like, listen, he's got to get the ball. You know what I mean? Like in terms of he's the passer, he's the one who's going to be able to make something happen as opposed to it being running through um, Partey. And obviously when they played against Wolves, when Arsenal played against Wolves, against a team that pretty much scored and then sat back for the whole time, this is where he was going to come into his own element where he's, he's able to get the ball, recycle it, move it from side to side and stuff like that. And I think, actually, Partey needs a DM next to him. <laughs> like, that's the change of the emotion, is that he needs a DM next to him. He needs somebody to do some extra destroying work, and that will probably unlock him. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, I, and I do think, I think Partey could play in a 4-4-2. I have no problem with that. I wouldn't have an issue with him playing in a 4-4-2 formation and stuff like that. I don't feel like it's important to highlight that because... Yeah, there's no there's no point in a player getting unnecessary slander when that's not even his game. Yeah, and we saw him play as a in the four four two for Atletico as well. He was playing with Koke or playing with Saul. I mean, those guys are not even like your destroyer destroyers, but they worked in tandem together to do that work together. If if Partey Two and went on a dribble, Sal would sit back or Koke would sit back um, and Atletico were very compact. So he can definitely do it. Um, it's about just accommodating him rather than him trying to accommodate and be, you know, this DM in front of in front of the defenders. That's. I think sometimes when Arsenal played that 4-1, 4-1, you know, when he was doing that 4-1, 4-1 formation and Partey was sitting there on his own, it was, <laughs> you're looking at me like, I felt so sorry for him sometimes because you're just like, ah, when you were getting counter-attacked and it's just him having to try and do all this kind of stuff, you know, and it's, it's weird because CM, central midfielders, they don't, they don't necessarily, the profile of a CM doesn't necessarily always spot danger, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's quite clear. It doesn't spot it as sharply kind of thing as maybe your box-to-box -box or your all-action kind of guys, but they prove they, what they're worth in terms of setting the tempo for the game and in the offensive um, positions and getting the balls to people. And obviously, like with Arsenal having a more settled 11 now, having a settled 11, having a settled kind of core to the team, it's obviously going to help him. You know, the defensive partnership is there at the back. You know, he kind of knows his role now, so he's able to do what he has to do. So for me, you know, people need to, you know, take it in, but it's not new. You know what I mean? Go and watch compilations of him for Atletico Madrid. But I don't think people... I, and I understand why they don't, because typically that profile of player, when he comes into a club, you know, you're thinking, it's coming to sit. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's John Mikel Obi all over again. That's a huge <laughs> issue, though. You know what I mean? It's a huge issue, because it, it gives you an uphill task already to kind of deal with, and you shouldn't have to have that. It, it might be indicative of, of a wider problem, you know. Um, but we've seen it with, with a few of the other players, like namely Kante, 
you know, for me, I would never in a million years categorize Kante as a defensive midfielder. No chance. You know what I mean? He might have ball winning abilities. That's very different. You know, um, and we've seen, as you as you said, you know, a lot more of his influence in the in the opposition half. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's the same thing when, as you mentioned, that the profile of player. Um, you know, I hear I hear it quite a bit with with Naby, for example, but in a different way. You don't expect you don't expect um, maybe that profile of player to have that that um, um, possess that skill set or being able to dictate the tempo of the game um, or you know being able to distribute the ball well or being able to you know construct attacks you know as and when you know change the tempo these kind of things so um, yeah when you, when you were saying that. I did, all I could think of in my mind is that this is just a huge issue. <laughs> that player has to come in and has to prove himself already, even though there's nothing to prove. You know, he is the player that he is. You can't be something that you're not. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Because if you look at the stats, even from him and that um, that that game against Wolves, not only was he did he have the most ball recoveries, the most duels, the most take-ons, you know, the most fouls won. And the second most chances created. So it was like an all-action display. It wasn't like he just he was sitting, you know, last ditch tackling and stuff like that. He's actually, and it's the key one, most take-ons, like as we kind of alluded to, him being able to beat his man, him being able to kind of drive with, with the ball and stuff like that. So I think that's what it is. And I also think that when you have a bit more trust in your defenders as well, like if you know you've got a solid defence partnership, you might take a bit more of a risk um, on the ball because you're not as worried as being being turned over kind of thing. Um, you haven't got slow defenders or weak weak defenders completely behind you. So I think it's just one of those that the confidence goes up, you know, and you're kind of doing what you have to do. But just just to kind of round off this segment, Thomas Partey is a central midfielder. Yeah, don't let anyone be under any illusions. Central midfielder. That's it. That's it's just it's out there now. Because <laughs> it's frustrating me for a long time. Because I just I'd hear people talk and I just think, okay, because eventually you'll see kind of thing um if he's deployed correctly but yeah cm cm definitely you know passing ability and not none of this you know just destroyer do you know what i mean leave that to the likes of fabinho and you know you know those kind of players there <laughs> 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 mascarano <laughs> 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 leave, leave it to those kind of lads you know what i mean but anyway speaking of destroying and all these kind of things um you know Leeds got destroyed again on the weekend, 4-0 by Spurs. Um, as a result, they sacked um, Marcelo Bielsa, their coach. Um, I'll just open it up to anybody. Um, how do you assess Marcelo Bielsa's time at Leeds? Failure, wonderful, in between, up and down. Like How, how, how are we to look at it based on how it's ended? They left... I believe 16th in the Premier League. The form is abysmal. Shipping in goals left, right and centre. Explain, discuss. Well, <laughs> the thing is, yeah, I can I can hear the glee in Marty's voice. I can hear it. I'm, I'm a neutral, so I, I don't... <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely you not are, a neutral. Yeah, definitely not a neutral. Of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, how to describe Bielsa's time? Um, well, I think you, you know what 
it's 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 clear from the Leeds fans' perspective how they feel about him. Um, you know, coming to, to coming to you know see him off and singing his name. You know, um, he's very. He seems like they're very they're very fond of him. You know, even last season, the season before that. Um, you know, he he does a lot of things. He's integrated himself into the culture of Leeds. You know, into the city. You know, you might find him. Um, also, I've read you might find him in a cafe. You know, he's he's very much one of one of the Leeds people, um, and I think he's done a number of good things. You know, even in bringing Leeds to the, the the Premier League. You know, he's for example, Calvin Phillips. You know, Calvin Phillips was was a player who was on the periphery of the squad, and is now integral to how they play. Um, and I think that's one of the ways that he's endeared himself to the fans. I think he's also created a philosophy, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not. Um, there's a clear identity with Leeds, and I think that's that that's difficult to establish. You know, um, it's, it's not something that all managers can do, um, and I think that the Leeds fans really have enjoyed that for the most part of this time. Um, do I think that all Leeds fans love him? Maybe not. Um, you know, I think in the last, in this season in particular, we've seen that his style of play can be polarizing, and uh, particularly maybe manager opposition will see that as a, you know, his style of play is a bit of a weakness to attack because they 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 defend and they attack man for man. Um, but listen, I think um, Bios is definitely a character. I think um, that's one thing that we, we can all agree on. We don't see this kind of thing in the Premier League um, year in, year out. Um, I think there's there's also some caveats for this season as well that, that need to be factored in. Calvin Phillips has been injured for the most of the season. Um, Lorente has also been injured for the most of the season. And most importantly, Bamford, who got a lot of their goals, has also been injured for the for majority of the season. And that's that's um, that has disrupted their season, effectively. Uh, I, I don't think a side like Leeds at the moment can deal with that level of injury, um, quite frankly. And I think they've, they've had some other, you know, players that have disrupted um, their season who have not kind of been, you know, consistently in the side of the likes of Jack Harrison. He may not have, you know, picked up the same form as he did last season. Um, and yeah, you know, Stuart Dallas, these kind of players, they, they haven't picked up the same level of performance, unfortunately. And so, yeah, man, um, it's unfortunate for for Bielsa, um, but like I say, I think he's quite a polarizing character. Some people love him, some people hate him, but I think he's done some really good things for Leeds. Bringing him back into the Premier League is is a is a good thing. Um, I think it's positive, um, and I think yeah, the, the Leeds fans will, will generally feel the fondness and the, the and remember the good times that he brought to Ellen Road. Just to unpack some of that, what you said there. Leeds have conceded 60 goals. We're not even anywhere near the... We're not finished in the season yet. What has some of those players been out got to do with conceding 60 goals? Well, that's a that's a that's an interesting question. I think if, if they had Calvin Phillips there, um, he could have helped steady the ship a little bit. Um, he, he's obviously quite impactful for them in the defensive third. Um, he's obviously a bit of a shield for, for the back four. Um, so I definitely think having him fit would have an impact on how the side structured, and also, yeah, just generally, just just stopping some of those blatant counter attacks that we can see 
um, that make them susceptible with how they play with the with, with the man-to-man defensive system. Um, I do think I'm not going to defend them blindly. I, I do think they their approach has been quite naive, and I did think that they might wisen up, maybe tighten up um, this season, having had a season already in the Premier League. Um, so don't get me wrong, 60 goals at this point of the season conceded is 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 that is diabolical. It's shambolic. There's there's no two ways about it. Um, but I do think a player like Calvin Phillips would have added a bit of structure and, and, and maybe stopped some of those some of those counter attacks and maybe helped to stem a bit of the tide and you know dictate a bit of the tempo on the lead side. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on it anyway. But I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm defending that because that's that's a bit outrageous. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, now we've got to hear both sides though, isn't it? That's the thing. Like, um, so on the weekend, yeah, obviously they lost 4 0, but like, I feel like this is probably the biggest metaphor for Bielsa. This probably sums him up. They lost 4 0 on the weekend, they had more shots on target than than Spurs. They had they had they completed more passes, no, they marginally completed less passes. Um, the pass accuracy was pr- roughly the same. Roughly the same as Spurs. Um, I'm just looking at looking for the overall possession stat. Um, yeah, possession was round about 50-50. It was 49% to Leeds and 51% to um 51% to Spurs, but they still lost the game 4-0. I think that probably sums up, you know, just Bielsa's time at Leeds just in general, is that they're create they're a crazy bunch. They were a crazy bunch, they had a go, definitely. But conceding loads of goals, creating loads of chances, all action. I think the rear guard was probably the biggest failing that I would say was, you know, he did in his time. He never he paid no mind towards defense, and I and I and I and I question how can a top coach have that lack of regard for defending, especially if you have injuries. How can you consistently? You know, they got piped seven nil by Man City in in December. You know getting battered 6-0, 4-0, this, this, conceding all these goals. But at no point did a man think, you know what, I'm going to have to be a bit more pragmatic. I'm going to have to switch it up a bit. That's why I'm just a bit disappointed. And I wonder where some of this admiration, why do people, is it just because of the attacking side of the game that people love Bielsa? Or is it, like, what is it actually, why is it that there's this kind of cloud around Bielsa that, oh my gosh, he's such a fantastic manager or a character or a coach? Is it the quotes like what? What would you guys say it is that people have said? Oh, he's he's this guy because seemingly you look at that record and how he's left them. He's left them in a really bad spot, trying to fight to stay up in the Premier League. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I'll come in on this one. Um, if you look at Leeds's record, defensive record in the Championship, whilst they were there, with the amount of games then that they were playing, you, you probably considered that they they were probably the one of the most well had the best defensive records. Or had probably top three defensive record in that league. Now, obviously, the championship's not the Premier League, but given the way that they were playing, it still set that precedent. And you know, there's a saying that people say, you know, attack is, the, is your best form of defense at times, especially with the type of players that you have. Now, that's clearly what Bielsa has always been about, and with with the teams that he's always had. The problem with Bielsa, and I think this season is, I think this this year was his fifth season at Leeds, wasn't it? This year, was it his fourth or something fourth. like that? Yeah, it's Leeds' fourth. fourth, fourth, or something like that. Now, now, what, what this, what this season reminded me of, and it was quite reminiscent of, was was the Klopp season 
that uh, that fell apart at um and the way that it did and the way that you know Klopp had Dortmund you know playing that heavy metal you know style football where they were you know game game press was just their thing and eventually the players burnt out and you could physically you could actually physically see it now for Leeds on this on this hand it's the same type of thing you know but on a different type of scale because number one the level of level of players they have aren't up there in terms of like the upper echelons of players in the Premier League. We have to understand that first. So when we're looking at Leeds, we can't judge them on, you know, being a European place side because they're just not that. If we're going to call it about they're still a championship side, look at the look at the majority of the players they still got in their squad. So when people are, you know, looking at Bielsa and giving him his stripes, they've given him his stripes because of the type of players they had before he came. He still took that same bunch and create what he created and got them to the Premier League. That's where he get, that's where he earns his stripes. So that's where he gets his flowers from. Um, and not only that, the, the style of play as well. Okay, you know, for a lot of people, you may, you know, you may consider it being a bit naive, you know, showing a bit of lack of respect to it for the opposition and all the rest of it. Which for the majority, I think, would probably agree. I think when you come up against teams like your cities, your United, your your, you know, Tottenham's or whoever. You've got to show an element of respect, and I think with Bielsa, with him being the type of character he is, he just wasn't looking to looking to do that. Um, is that not a weakness? Though, not is that not a weakness as a coach? You know what? You know what? You can call it in that way. No, no, no. You can call it weakness and whatnot, but at the same time, I mean, I agree with you in one sense, but in another sense, I personally find it a little bit admirable as well that man can actually say, you know what? No. I'm not going to bow down to anyone. I don't care how big you are. We're still going to get, try and give um, give you a game and actually get and um, you know go at you. Um, and at some you know in some sense, obviously it's come now that um, yeah he was his own worst enemy. He was um, not changing, especially having the players out that he had, and not you know adapting to the situation or even making tweaks to sort of help out the let's say the inability of the players that he actually had. You know, to to maybe help their results going forward. It, it, I, I just think for him, I mean, it was his own downfall in the end. And to be fair, I think he was going to walk away at the end of the season anyway. This uncertainty with signing one-year contracts and all the rest of it. it, it you talk about um, short-term projects and all the rest of it. That's what it. That's what it seemed to become at Leeds. I just I couldn't see a long-term future with him there anyway. Um, and I'm only saying this based on what Fred said the other day about. You know, it not being good, not 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 having or not feeling like there's a long term plan in place, and um, I think I feel like Leeds were starting to feel it. Some of the players were starting to feel it. There were um, rumours and um, you know things coming out about Calvin Phillips not quite not getting well with um, with Bielsa, him being played out of position, and all the rest of it before he got injured, being played centre back when that's not is clearly not his best position. All the rest of it, so. I think in the end, whilst one or two cracks started to appear, at the end of the day, it just couldn't paper paper over it, and yeah, it just is what it is. But with all that being said, some Leeds fans were still upset that he was sacked. And Leeds being Leeds, for them to for for the fans to still feel that way about him, just just has to, it just tells you everything. Like you as an outsider may not understand why that is. But you could only be a Leeds fan to really understand why. And unfortunately, we don't know any to obviously give their word on it. But um, I feel like there's something in that. Yeah. I think when you hire um, 
Bielsa, yeah. He's been at what? He's been at Bilbao, um, Lille, Marseille. Um, and they've all pretty much ended in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So when you hire Bielsa, I think you have to factor in as a you know, custodian of the club or the owner or you know, president or whatever that it, at some point it will turn sour. Um, I remember hearing one quote from Click saying that it's, you know, it's serious business working under um, Bielsa and it's, it's like being in the military. Now you can you hear things like that and you think, right, okay, if it's like being in the military, season one, season two, season three, maybe that's okay. After a few seasons that <laughs> footballers today don't want to I was gonna say, did you could, could I did I disappear or because I could no, no, Jay no. for a moment? Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. No, go on, Jay. Say that again. Say that last bit again. Can you hear us? Yeah, I think Jay Jay can't can hear, hear us now. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. No, I was just I was just can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can hear you guys. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Ah, oh, there's there's a delay still. I think I think it's his stream's catching up. There's a lag, yeah. Yeah, there's a lag. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, we'll we'll come back to Jay on on that one. Um, on what he was saying, but um, just like Leeds's results, because I hear, I hear what I hear what the argument is and the arguments are for the brand Bielsa. But what about Leeds themselves? What about Leeds as a club? Like, should it surely, you know, as a club themselves, they want to be doing better than it is? Look at look you you look at this somebody's um running results. This is dating back to. December, 11th of December, lost 3-2 to Chelsea, lost 7-0 to Manchester City, lost 4-1 to Arsenal, dumped out of the FA Cup. Um, they lost against Everton 3-0 in Feb. They lost against Manchester United 4-2. They lost against Liverpool 6-0, lost against Tottenham 4-0. Like, play injuries, um, injuries, players not um, being able to, to you know, not having the same level of player. Does that stop you from building a defence? Is no, that is no, that what we're what? trying to say here? Does no, it stop no, you not... from saying to yourself, let's sit back a little bit, let's potentially play counter-attacking football for a bit, no, you know, no, you know for what? a bit? Because, hold on one second, because what I'm saying, I just want to make this point in there, is that I saw, I watched Leeds play against Manchester United at Ellen Road, this was a game behind closed doors. And I saw Leeds park the bus. So they parked the bus, they shut it out, and I think they got the nil-nil result on the day. That showed me they were capable of doing it when they knew that they didn't want to lose the game. Obviously, the first game against Manchester United back in the Premier League and stuff like that. And it was an and you know it was a nil-nil. Um it showed me that they they had the ability to do it. They could do it, right? And for me, the argument goes: if you've got worse players then you're going to have to tuck up even more. 
It's not that you've got mm. worse players and therefore I just stick to my stick to my guns because this is what I'm doing. It's not all about you. As the manager, it's not all about you. It's about your team. So if you know you're playing against, for example, a team like Tottenham, you would have watched the game that they played against Manchester City. You would have seen how Kane dropped into the hole and started to spin. Why on earth would you approach the game in the same way? Like, that's my question. It's more like, why on earth would a manager, who everyone's lauding and everyone is saying so so good, not prepare for opposition? Because it seems like he wasn't preparing for oppositions, even though he's, you know, in the past, we're out of the presentations and the this and the that. And that's what I'm saying. It's all this stuff off the field that looks good. But I'm talking about on the field, you're not preparing for, for your opposition and you're getting your face slapped. So at what point, do you have to say, okay, cool, I get this is Bielsa, but Bielsa is also the coach of a football club who's trying to stay in the Premier League. Do you get what I'm mm. saying? As opposed to it being like, no, this is just what you get with this guy. Because at the end of the day, he's there and he's employed to do a job for the club kind of thing. So maybe his remit was finished last summer and he could have walked away last summer, potentially. But after a first season in the Premier League, did they finish in the top half, Leeds? I'm sure they finished yeah, they finish, in the top they finish half last season. Yeah, they finished. They finished there you go. Um, so it's just one of those ones where you need to keep tweaking. You need to keep tweaking. And even if you have got injuries, it's not acceptable. You can't just be playing your same 4-1-4-1 formation, marking people over all over the pitch and leaving gaps the size of trains, literally the size of train tracks in between some of your players. You're playing against Spurs. You've just been piped the week before and you go and do that and you, your players go and do that. And now the problem for me is that he's left them still with this wacky, wild, you know, gung-ho style of play, but he's not there to coach them until the end of the season. And they're now, they're now in a space where they are used to shipping goals. They're in big trouble. Um, the, the one point I'll make is he's he's been sat to a point where they, they've had their hardest run of fixtures as well. So, the, so namely, the, all the fixtures you've mentioned, l l listen to the size that you've actually mentioned in this case. And I'm not saying that, oh, therefore, yeah, you know, you play against... You know, probably you know the the so-called big six. Yeah, they, they they should just accept to you know accept getting slapped up. You know, with those scorelines or the rest of it. But this context there because I I know that even in the Chelsea game that they lost three two at the Bridge. That's a game they should have got something out. They actually should have got something out of the game. So it's not just oh yeah we look at the results and say yeah boom you know this that and the other. In context, yeah, there's context there. Like even the, even the four nil. There's one thing. There's one thing. I know you mentioned the shots on target and everything else, but on and but you know in football the one thing they don't count as on target is woodwork. They could woodwork twice as well in that game against Tottenham. Do you see what I mean? So it, so it's a lack of for a lack of you know converting chances and moments in the game and all the rest. of it. I mean it happens, especially when when you're in a when you're on a bad run. These things just tend to just continue and just happen. We've seen it, you know, over time. We spoke earlier on in the season. You know about the manager. You know how many managers were getting laid off and sacked and all the rest of it. And we always spoke about the form guide. It was almost as though you look at the last six games. How many reds do you see on the form guide before you actually start questioning? Do we need to actually make a change here? And that's exactly where Leeds actually found themselves. Um, but uh, you know, against the teams in and around them, just like I think we mentioned, I think I mentioned it offline. Drawing in in a position in a position that they're in. It's just as bad as a loss. And they were recording a lot of draws in and around with, with teams in and around them earlier on in the season as well and not collecting the wins that probably their performances deserved at that point in time. 
and it's just all now amalgamated with the injuries and all the rest of it into the position that they're in. Now, as far as I'm aware, they've not they've not been in the bottom three once. Although they've had the plight that they've had, they've not been in the bottom three once this season. Pending. So, yeah, but yeah, no, obviously it looks like it's pending, but but the point is, is that you know, with how many how how many games have we got left? That twenty is it twelve games, twelve or fourteen games? They've, they've got, got left? twelve games left. They've 12, 12 games, 12 games left, yeah. They're about, uh, I'm trying to think, what's the gap now? I think, between four, them? I think it's at four points, four points off the bottom three. I think they're on 23 no, three, points. They're, no, left. they're actually, they're on 23 points. Burnley are on 21 points. Burnley okay. have got two games in hand on them. And Burnley okay, are cool. obviously in good form right now. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so albeit, it looks that obviously they are in trouble. And that one, we, we, we know that. And to be fair, I think I even mentioned that they would, I, I saw them being in trouble this season just because of how their pre-season went. Um, with the injuries and all the rest of it, I could just, you know, when you just watch a team, you just think, nah, I feel like they're in big trouble. And you know what, it's come, it's come to fruition now. And, and it's a shame. But I, I think with their manager now coming in, Jay, you probably know more about him than I do. But from, from what I hear and what I read, um, his philosophy isn't too dissimilar from Bielsa in terms of their, their pressing and attacking side of things. But um, he is someone that has won championships or at least competed in leagues that he's been in. So maybe, you know, um, that sort of culture, winning culture somewhat, um, is something that could rub on, you know, the Leeds players as well. And after all, he was actually um, drafted in at Leipzig before he was let go. Uh, I don't know what pass happened. But if if RB Leipzig are bringing in bringing in a coach like him, uh, then he's got he's got to have a bit about him as well. So um, we'll see how that plays out. But um, going forward, I mean, there's nothing they could do now. There's no transfer window for them to try and rectify any of the issues they've got. They have to do, they have to stick with whatever they've got at the moment and try and deal with it as best they can. So um, yeah, and let's just kind of see how it plays out. But I do expect them to survive. I do. There, there's just something about them that just tells me that yeah, they will survive at the end of it. I think there's better teams than them below them because you look at that, you look at the bottom of that that table. I can see Brentford really getting stuck, um, definitely because they're they're another one. They're they're dropping like a brick, you know. They're they're in big trouble. Um, but and I and I can't see Everton being relegated personally. I think they've got they've got enough minerals there. You look at Leeds and you're like. You know, they're still going to have to play with, unfortunately, Dan James as a lone striker um, in their team. Rafinha, his form has just tailed off. But again, you, I don't think you can look to Rafinha to be digging you out of um, these kind of situations kind of thing. He's still developing as a player himself. He's not somebody that you can rely on, in my opinion. So Leeds, you know, the form is really, really bad. And, the, the, and I say this all the time, when you start learning to lose... You know, it's going to be hard because it might. Because can you imagine if this coach now, which I'm sure they will do, is come and uh, install some pragmatism into Leeds? Can you imagine the mind switch where they're not going man for man, where they're having to hold their shape and concentrate kind of thing, where they weren't doing that before? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Players are out of form. Rafinha, I'm sure he was getting hooked at half time and stuff. I think he's got like nine goals this season. Right. I think some of them, um, you know, probably earlier on in the season, he was doing quite well, but his form's kind of gone as well. So it's just like, and like you said, they can't sign anybody. So this is what you have. So it's the opposite of Newcastle. It's completely the opposite. Newcastle had issues. They fixed them. They brought in the manager. 
early. They saw the problems early. They brought in the manager early. They signed the players that they needed to sign. And all of a sudden, now Newcastle are well-equipped to, you know, Newcastle are up to, what, 14th in the table. You know what I mean? On their, Well on their way to staying up. Leeds are, in, you know, on the other hand, it's not. It's just not a great position, and for me, it's just like it looks like it's just a matter of a matter of time before they're in that bottom three. And then I can't, I can't tell you what digs them out of that, because is, is Bamford even due to return anytime soon? No, apparently not. No, he's, apparently not. he's struggling. Yeah, and that's Bamford, that's that's, yeah. that's the main issue for them. The goals, but then also, I think one thing that Bielsa, one criticism I would have, is that I think the the last line changed too much. Like Meslier, mm. yeah, I think he he Meslier was was pretty good last season from from a shot stopper perspective. You know, obviously he's he's still a young keeper and developing, but the last line changes too much. Like Dan Aylin is he's a right back, but you know he played a lot of last season centre back, and you got Dallas. He's some, he's a left back. He's covering that right back, or he's playing centre midfield. You know, and or you know Lorente was injured as I mentioned a lot of the time. You got Cock. If if Cock's not in, um, then maybe you're you're playing um you're playing um Cooper or um what's the other brother's name? Is it Struik? Struik? Is it is it Struik? Can't remember. Is it Pascal mm. Struik or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, it just changed. It changes too much. So the first thing they need is consistency because the backline should always be as consistent as possible. You know. Um. So you know, square peg, square holes kind of thing. Mm. You know. Let's let's yeah. not do anything too fancy. If you've conceded 60 goals, <laughs> you've learned to concede. Mm. You, you know, that's not, it's not abnormal to concede. How a coach can go in there and completely flip that on its head, that is the difficulty now that I'm seeing. Like, it's really hard. Because even, you know, what was the boy they signed from Valencia? £30 million. Where do you go? Where do you go? Oh, my goodness me. Again, what has he done since coming? Do you get what I'm trying to say? There's, 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 there's just clearly, it's clearly one of those ones where they're not in a great position. I'm not saying they can't stay up on whatever else, but I'm just saying that they have been left in a really bad position with this man going at the time. And potentially the club has, in my opinion, they waited too long to pull the trigger. Way too long to pull the trigger. Um, I didn't see them getting out of that situation because when you leave so much spaces, so many spaces, and remember in the Premier League, teams will watch you for a bit, you know. They'll watch you for a bit. You'll catch them on the hop to begin with. And all of a sudden, that second season, this is where teams know exactly what you're going to do. They know exactly where you are. They study all the tapes and you see it. That's why so many, so few teams can retain a Premier League title. It's not an easy thing to do. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So few teams can do it because even the top teams, they'll get worked out. Somebody no, will work you out. Teams will, teams will be able to do it. And it's, it seems like that's what, just what happened with Leeds. They carried yeah, on no, doing 100%. it and it was catching nobody by surprise. No, 100%. And you know what? But you see on the flip side now, when we speak about Leeds, skunk coldness and all the rest of it, the, the same thing happened with Sheffield United and they were more pragmatic. So, so it's not... So, so I mean, the approach to the game and all the rest of it, sometimes that even that doesn't save you. It's just about, you know, being figured out and, you know, players, opposition, learning more about you as an individual and knowing what you're about as a player and all the rest of it as well. But uh, I might add, I mean... For me personally, I feel like the next two months, I mean, namely March and April, are it's going to be very, very um, pivotal for them because of the fixtures they've actually got at home. So I know they've got um, Leicester coming up next away from home, but again, I don't, I don't expect them to to win that game. But then they've got home game, home games against Villa, 
Norwich and then away to and away to Wolves in the month of March. Those massive those game. three games, those three games are massive. It's in particular those two those two are Ellen Road as well. Um, so should they get you know f- you know four four out of six points or even three out of six, even if they grab a grab grab a win out of those two games, you know it might actually help with confidence going forward. You know they lost two games of the season at home to Brighton and then final day of the season away to Brentford. You know the, these the, those are those are games for in terms of their running. That's that's something that something that's actually quite doable for them. And Jay, I'm sorry, I'm going to throw Arsenal in there. I know Arsenal, they've got Arsenal in the running as well for them as well. And if Arsenal do the usual end the season antics and you know lose a game or whatever it is that they like to do and just let top four slip, that could probably run in Lee's favour as well. But um, <laughs> as the third week yeah. in a row, that, 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 yeah, that's I'll, three. I was just <laughs> about to say that. That's three, three for but, me. But, but I, put that, that, I put that down to not winning the the, uh, the cup yesterday, so I'll let him have that one. Oh. That to the Kepa pedigree, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, okay. Cool. No, Listen, I'm still looking for that ball now, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know what? Someone took it home, you know. Someone, someone's dad took it home. That's it. They, posted it. they posted it on Twitter. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really mad, bro. <laughs> That's it. Listen, I don't live too far from that ground, man. I saw saw, saw it, you know. (laughs) Um, No, we might as well get onto that anyway, um, because, yeah, Leeds, you can talk about Leeds all day, because it is a shame. It's a shame as what happened, but, you know, now they're going to have to fight for their lives anyway to try and stay up or or go down. It might be a good thing for them to go down and and build again. Who knows? Um, But it is what it is. Yeah, Um, Carabao Cup final was yesterday. Um, people are saying the most exciting nil-nil they've watched. I think that is too far, too far. That, that's a bit too far. I think if you're a fan of either team, maybe it was like that for you. But I didn't think it was that at all. Um, I thought it was decent. It was a decent game of football, but it was still nil-nil, and there was still, you know, what I mean, it, it was still, it wasn't, it wasn't like um, a blockbuster final, in my opinion. The the the, the blockbuster thing was the penalties. <laughs> That was the most most exciting thing in my opinion uh, in terms of in terms of top quality of the whole thing was the the penalties in the end kind of thing, um, but yeah I kind of just wanted to touch in on a couple of things um, highlight points. Luis Diaz T. Yeah. What do you think, man? What do you think of him? How how's he how's he settling and stuff like that? What kind of profile do you think he is as a player? How is he influencing the game? Because I saw him doing a couple of bits yesterday, but I want to know your thoughts as a Liverpool fan. Firstly, he loves a no lip boy. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a player like you use that no lip pass so much in one game. It's ridiculous. Um, um, well, I, I think the, the the biggest compliment I can I can pay to Diaz is that he's he's he was signed and he's playing straight away. And um, we 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 know that you know from some of Klopp's biggest signings, Fabinho, Robertson, no, they're taking. <laughs> they've, t- they've taken a little while to adapt to the system uh, but DS has been thrown and he's been trusted straight away um, which which says to me that he's he's um, well firstly good recruitment and then um, secondly he's, he seems like his skill set just fits well with the team so he seems like he's a front foot player um, he looks like he's he's willing to to commit himself to the cause so you know physically he seems like he even though he seems quite slack, he's he's willing to 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 he can challenge basically. He's quick, um, he's, he's wiry. You know what I mean? Like he he I don't think he's the strongest, but he's just a wiry kind of he's like a nuisance. 
You know what I mean? Um, and I think he's very tricky. That first touch, um, I think, is 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 an issue um, for sure. It's very, very, very tricky and just busy. Um, but yeah, you know what? I think as well, um, Liverpool played a lot, a lot of the game through him. I think it was quite notable that um, Chelsea actually locked down Salah quite easily yesterday. But I think the the inverse of that was that Diaz had a bit more space, and obviously he he was he was opposed by Chalabar, um, who I think he gave a bit of a a bit of a, a busy time to. So, you know what, Diaz Diaz looks like a very good fit. Um, he looks like he he's he's gonna be you know a success, but it's still early days, you know. Um, but yeah, he does look like a threat, and he does look like a he looks like a Liverpool player already. Mm. it's that direct style of play that's what I like to see gets people off their seats you know what I mean because obviously as a Man United fan I'm looking at Jadon Sancho and I'm expecting to see what I'm seeing from Diaz from Jadon Sancho to be honest I'm looking to see him be more direct taking people on the outside and whatever but Sancho seems like he's just he's, he's some. he seems like he's almost not a winger even though he is it's the way he's playing it's like he's not a winger he'll stop pass it inside and yeah. then, like a lot of the time, someone that uh, defenders now get comfortable with Sancho, they'll show him the line, like go on then, because they know eventually he's cutting it in, passing, and he's not going to necessarily run in behind. But Diaz, Luis Diaz, he looked like he's ready to run in behind at every opportunity, and I think that sets mm. you up quite well. Um, and especially with that Liverpool front line being so skippy and so um, so interchangeable, I feel like he can play off either side and still have the same kind of effect. And especially now with um, in the summer, having to make a decision on um, Salah, this kind of you know adds to the pool of players, if you like, with you guys. So, do you think it influences how you might move in the summer when it comes to your Salah negotiations? Not I'm just him name. alone, but you know, yeah. my name, yeah. But you, obviously, Jota's in there; he's doing stuff. Mm. So, potentially, do you think that that this this signing, um, coupled with Jota, coupled with a couple of other things? Um, this might influence how you transition now um, come, come in the summer? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely it's definitely uh, a hand up in terms of negotiations. Um, in terms of Liverpool as a club and negotiating, you know, with Salah um, and Mane and Firmino, um, I think it's positive. You know, we spoke offline about, you know, that, that exact Salah conversation and the club doing what they have to do first. I think that's what the club have done. I think they've acted on what they need to do in terms of transitioning the next phase of of Klopp's team. Um, and it looks like Diaz is, is, is going to be a part of that. So, yeah, um, in terms of the negotiation, Liverpool, I think they've, they've just strengthened their hand, essentially. Um, I'm not sure what exactly they, they want to do. I don't know if this is like a... This is some kind of stance or there is like a clear plan that, that you know they're going to sell somebody or they're going to see out the contract or what i'm not too sure but i'm, I'm more I'm, I'm happy that diaz is coming and, and looks like he can affect the game immediately mm, he's doing this thing also i just i want to ask you some one of the incidents what cater red card no red card That's in your it. opinion say no more say no more no no we're not, we're not even going to unpack that we're never going to unpack that. We're just going to leave it there. T didn't see it. No problem. Mad. All right, cool. Kofi, from your perspective, yeah, uh, Chelsea perspective, um, uh, Havertz starting mm. up front, that seems like that's normal now. Like, that's yeah. just normal. 
he started up front. What's, what did you see in terms of how he played versus how Lukaku would play in the number nine role? From a profile point of view, what do you see that's different between the two of them? Uh, I, mean, yeah, I mean, I mean to be fair, they're two completely different players. I think um, last week when Tuchel was speaking about um, what what he, you know what he expects from a forward line in terms of energy, um, being able to press, you know, and really be in the game. I think that's what Tuchel likes to actually say: being in the game, you know, um, from a defensive point of view, but also attacking as well. And Havertz, he, he's he's be, he's been busy and. Looking at how he's been performing since coming in, because he's played he's played that position before, he's played that position before, but it just seems as though, like with all the stuff that's happened just recently and him being given the opportunity, he's he's played like a man that's had a point to prove, and I I love that I love that in him because I think this is the first time since he's come to the club that all of a sudden now he looks like he's found a position that could that could be his own. Do you get what I'm saying? And I think when you compare the two players in terms of like Romelu Lukaku yesterday, when he when he even came on, um, you know, Jay made a made a point of actually saying that it looked like he was standing still quite a bit. Um, even though I know he obviously obviously the congestion's offside and all the rest of it, and you know, in terms of him getting the chances he got, you know, he put one away. There was one there was one tight one that he put off target and all the, well not off, off target but it was saved. Rather, so at least the ball is getting played into him this time around. But um, in terms of effectiveness, Havertz is probably just the more effective player because he can play out wide. He can interchange with those players. He can actually bring the ball down, do the interchange of passing, all this sort of stuff. And stuff that Lukaku isn't renowned for. And um, it just makes me question again, you know, who's signing was Lukaku really? Not, not to say that Lukaku is a bad player. But I think we even start. I think we even said at the beginning of the season when we spoke about world class players and all the rest of it and how we banded them. I think we all agreed that we didn't think that Lukaku was world class in that respect. Good player, but not world class because we know what world class, like in terms of world class players, what sort of facets they actually need to their game to be put into that bracket. And Lukaku has clearly shown that he doesn't have that stuff. He has, he's really, really good in areas, but in terms of the critical final areas that you need forwards to have um, you know in all type of game conditions he doesn't have that clearly and Havertz just seems to be showing more of that and at 23 years old I think Havertz is now I, I, I'd be I'd be willing to actually invest my time into him allow him to blossom on a consistent basis we might actually get more change out of him but it's, it's but having said that it's strange because if Lukaku if, if VAR decide to give someone the benefit of the doubt, we could mm. be having a different conversation, you know, because yeah. Lukaku's there and his job is pretty much scoring the goals. Like, it's, again, we talked about Partey and what we're expecting from Partey, but mm. I think what you're expecting from Lukaku is goals, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, he's he's not really involved in the build-up and in, in the sort of, in the... in If, if you if put it this way, I would never put pick Lukaku on the other side, ever. Yeah, no, I'd no. Never. No. He, he wouldn't do it. The ball will bounce off him. He'd probably, do you know what I mean? The, the only thing he'd probably be very good at doing is if you're laying off things to him and you just got to find the bottom corner, find the top corner, shooting, finishing. Yeah, I thought mm. in that area, world class. Yes, I I mm. would agree personally. I've seen enough to say that if you give him chances, he's you putting them away, he's tucking them yeah. away, and then he's yeah. gonna put up some serious numbers. But of course, in the modern day, the number nine's not 
you know, his type of number nine is just not it's not being catered to. More and more teams are showing that they kind of don't want their 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 forwards to be able to just just finish. You know, yeah. they kind of want you to link up with play and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting in that respect. But do you think that Lukaku will actually come back into the team? Do you think they think there will come um, a time where Chelsea will need him this season? You know, you know what? This season, I'm not too sure. Um, in terms of him coming in to be a permanent fixture, I don't think so. I think Havertz has shown enough in the last in the last two games alone that he could be counted upon. And we're reaching business end of the season now. We, we, you know, we're fighting. Well, not Premier League. We wouldn't say we're fighting all fronts, but we need to secure, you know, a top four position because I am, I am looking at top four now, being being actual danger even still. Um, you know, Champions League, and we've still got FA Cup to go for as well. And if we're to collect another trophy, I mean, it's not. I don't have any room for sentiment, me personally. So, um, Tuchel, I don't think we'll have that either. So, um, Tuchel, you know, he, his stance remains that yeah. Lukaku is a part of the solution, like he likes to say. But um, until we start seeing consistency in his game and seeing, and you know, let's let's just say a few tweaks in Lukaku's game to suit the way that Tuchel wants to play, I don't think he should be anywhere near the side, really, in my personal opinion. Mm, that's a tough one. Obviously, we'll round up talk, talking about the penalties. Um, but the question, like, when it comes to the penalties... Um, <laughs> Why, why, why not Mendy? Why, why can't you have Mendy in goals for these penalties? Why was it Kepa? Why did it need to be Kepa? I mean, to be honest with you, um, that that decision was made before before the game had even even begun. Gigi, I'm saying that two obviously mentioned that, and this is something that Chelsea had done before. They did it against Villarreal in the Super Cup, and that worked a treat because at the end of the day, Kepa came on and was you know, it was victorious in the end for the team. And in terms of his uh, record of four penalty shootouts, he's not been half bad. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we could have said, yeah, we could leave it to Edward Mendy and all the rest of it. But, you know, it's not until something goes wrong that you realise that, yeah, maybe it's time to change. And mm. yesterday was the time that something actually went wrong for the first time in that in that respect. So, going forward, I don't see that happening again. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So, it's kind of like, yeah. like Klopp saying, saying before uh, before the game, you know, I've lost twice at Wembley, but I usually win a third time. And he did that yesterday. So it's kind of that whole superstitious thing, you know. So I guess just continuing the trend was just, you know, what was in their mind. And I, I, I see the uproar about it, but there was no guarantee that even if Mendy stayed in goal, that we Chelsea would have won anyway. So it's all but, about... But I think it's a wider thing though, isn't it? Like, And obviously JT comment on it, but like, it's a wider thing like of like in the summer... Southgate brought on players for a penalty shootout and that went horribly wrong <laughs> you know the players come on cold and they're ready and they're going to go for the penalty shootout what do you where do you guys stand on it in just in terms of like changing bringing on players specifically to take a penalty uh, versus going with the players who've, who've already been on the pitch or bringing on a player to you know because I remember Van Gaal was doing that sort of thing as well um, with his Holland side in one of the, the European, I think it was World Cup, I think it was, or European Championships. He was subbing his keeper in order to make, let them do the penalties. What do you guys think about that? Would you, is that something you'd do? Um, I, I think that um, it depends. Um, the, 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 the keeper thing, it sounded like Chelsea see Kepa as, the, as a specialist penalty 
um, saver or whatever. I think he may. Have, I think he saved what is it four penalties before. Um, so as 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 Kofi said, like it seemed like he that decision was already made. Um, I, I don't have an issue with it if there's because obviously managers um, are seeing these players and 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 they're deploying their their strategies and training every day. I don't have an issue with it when it's when it's um, deployed in the right way because it's 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 very similar to to players if you like. James Milner came on for Liverpool. I knew exactly why he was coming on. He wasn't coming on. Club probably thought, you know, what, I'm going to give this guy long enough to get into the game, but I. It looks like this game is going to penalties, and he's he's mm. his best penalty taker. So whilst the, the dynamic between the goalkeeper and the players are are, are different, I, I get the logic, and I, I I don't see an issue with it if if the if the players got long enough to get into the game. Mm. But it's Mendy though, Jay. Like Mendy, Afcon, Mendy, save penalties. You know what I mean? He's faced Salah already. Even the fact that so sorry, sorry, sorry to jump in, but Mendy is 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 an imposing goalkeeper. You know what I mean? Look at look, like his 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 profile as a keeper is imposing. You look at him, and you know even this you know psychologically the save that he made from Mane was was fake. <laughs> that was a fake double <laughs> save. Oh. You know, um, so for me those are all indicators. I think it, it psychologically maybe it can demonstrate something different to the opposing side. Maybe that gave Liverpool a bit of a psychological advantage. Like, okay, we don't believe in the keeper who's in goal right now. We're going to bring on somebody else. And specifically in the in the Kepa situation, I'm when I saw that substitution happening, I wasn't unhappy about that. Let's put it like that because because of what's happened with Kepa at Chelsea. So I think. I think whilst I don't have a, an issue with the broader idea, you got to look at the specifics as a manager, and you got to look at what's happened with Kepa before. You got to look at what's happened with Mendy. Mendy's on the hat, you know, it's clear. Um, so, yeah, what I'm saying is you got to look at the specifics of it and then make a decision. Mm. Yeah, I think um, you you all make good points. I think like Kofi said, um, it's not the first time that. You know, Tuchel's made that substitution to bring in um, Kepa. Um, perhaps I think probably technically the thing that um, we've seen with with Mendy perhaps in past penalty shoots is that he doesn't necessarily get down quick enough sometimes um, because of his size. Um, so I think that maybe that's the thinking behind it. Um, and Mark, like you said, Van Gaal did the same thing in the World Cup. Brought on, um, what's this guy's name now? The one I said, Norwich. Tim Crawl. Tim yeah, yeah. Um, and it and it's worked out. So I think it's definitely a thing that employed. Um, I think the thing is though with Kepa is that in this particular penalty shootout, the first thing to note is that 21, 21 penalties went in. So I don't think either goalkeeper was that great, to be fair. Um, at the penalty shootouts, um, some of them were really close from both sides. Like, um, but the goalkeepers didn't do, in my opinion, good enough. Uh, I think that was more focused on trying to put off the Liverpool penalty takers rather than you know focusing on himself. You know, he would walk back to the goal slowly, do stuff with his hands or whatnot. And I appreciate sometimes that can get in. Um, players' heads, but when when I first saw him doing it to Milner, I thought, 
Nah, mate. Like, not Milner. Milner's Milner's been here, done that. He's he's not that guy. Like he's not that guy. And to be fair, a lot of the Liverpool players aren't those kind of guys. Um, they're quite seasoned at those penalties. So I feel like Kepa came in and he was distracted, maybe himself, rather than focusing on you know, what he usually does when he gets into this, this position of being a goalkeeper for a penalty shootout and actually making these saves. Um, just seems like Kepa, although there's something there in terms of making saves, he's, he lacks maturity. Um, he lacks that maturity to, you know, be serious when it, when, it, when, it, when it counts. It's hard to say that because obviously he was a goalkeeper for the Super Cup against Villarreal and he did it there and he did it, I think, in the another game in the Carabao Cup maybe as well. Um, but there he just needed to just be mature and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I've tried it on Milner. I've tried it on maybe on the next guy. It didn't work. Okay, now I'm going to focus on on actually trying to save these. Um, so... Because yeah. wasn't he, wasn't he the, dif- wasn't he the player who didn't want to come off for Sari? Mm. Yep. Was it yeah, not him? Same, he refused to come off. Yeah. Same competition as well. Same anymore because he he had a howler. He didn't get near like there was literally none of the penalties did look like he was he was getting near. Some of them it's just like he wasn't even wasn't even diving properly. And then nah, bro, like, I, I think, think the biggest. Finish. Let me yeah, let me finish and I and I and I'll let you come in because I'm gonna be done on Kepa anyway. Yeah, you can talk on him because yeah. The thing that crystallised for me his performance in that shootout was Van Dyke's penalty. I thought that was disgraceful. Yeah, how can you stand on one side? Yeah, you're almost telling Van Dyke go that side, and he bangs it that side and just stares you down. That's disgraceful. That's disrespectful. And I was just like, I just, I it was, it was mad to me anyway. To me, that was just like, and then you go and sky your penalty. He has had a stinker. But anyway, go on, Kofi. I'll let you defend <laughs> yeah. your. No, no. No, 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 obviously, obviously that Van Dyke one was rude because I saw it and I just thought, you silly man, you did this and you still allowed the ball to go that side. Anyway, it is where it is, but the Canate one, that was the that was the pivotal one because that was before that was before he then had to step up himself. He should have saved that. He got a palm to that and it Chocolate still went wrists. in. He got a full <laughs> palm to it and he went through his fingers, right? Yeah. And what, like people speak about oh, him not getting close to it. That was the only one only one conv- unconvincing penalty that Liverpool didn't take and he got a palm to it and he fell down. I was like, wait, bro, this was, that was your opportunity. That was it there. That was the one thing you're waiting for. So for him not to keep that out, at that point, I was like, yeah, we've lost this game. So him mm-hmm. kicking it over, like that was a goal kick he took. Let, let's get that right. That was a, it was that was a try. Penalty. That was a goal kick. Literally. Yeah, it, it was, was a try, try bro. Three yeah, points for Wigan. It's, <laughs> it's wild, man. But yeah. Can I just say yeah, that, man? Yeah. Can I just say, uh, Fabinho, I'm sorry, yeah, but sick, he, that is ridiculous. In that, sick, it, that was that <laughs> was that was ridiculous. But but I think that was influenced by by Kepa. I think that man didn't rate Kepa. Definitely not. Mm. Definitely not. And a couple of things that I noted as well is yeah, Jay. I, I I saw that too. He was very occupied with Liverpool players, but Kelleher, um he 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 picked up the ball each time and gave it to the Liverpool players to try and minimise the intervention from Kepa and what Kepa was doing. So there was a couple of things going on there, and also I read that Liverpool um, they brought in Neuro Eleven to help them decide on their penalty taking strategy, 
which I thought was quite interesting. So they're relying on data basically to tell them who to take penalties and when. Yeah, and that's it. We can, and the thing is, you can overcomplicate it. This is what I'm getting. Like people's overcomplicate. Oh no, I'm going to change my keeper. I'm going to change this and that. I'm going to bring on a sub just to take it and whatever. At the end of the day, if you're playing a football match, it's a cup competition. I believe you got to factor these things in. And at the end of the day, it's a penalty. At the end of the day, right? Shake off your nerves. Pick your spot. You place it where you said you're going to place it. You don't change your mind. This is very simple. Don't play. Don't change your mind as to where you're going. I know some people's technique is to look at where the keeper is and all that. But to be honest, if you're a nervous type of player or you feel a bit of nerves, I think that's where you just got to pick your spot, go hit the target. If the keeper saves it, it saves it. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing you can do. If unless if, there's sometimes you can even hit the side net in, go for the side net, and the keeper's died before you've even shot it. It's one of those you can't really do anything about it. But sometimes it's just like overcomplicating it making it like this big thing. At the end of the day, a lot of the time is pick your spot, put it right in the corner, put it right down the middle, and it is what it is kind of thing. Um, and it's just like, obviously, so many of them did it right. You know what I mean? Both teams, some of those penalties were absolutely um, flawless. Even You know, even when you looked at certain players and you're thinking, I don't like this, because I'm, I'm one of, I don't like short run-ups. I hate when I see short run-ups for penalties, but some of these guys will short run-up and in the top corner it went. So <laughs> it was just one of those. But definitely, Kepa, the, pe- the technique for the last um, penalty, it, it, that could have been nerves. That could have been nerves, but that probably sums up his time at Chelsea, to be completely honest. Like that, that right there, summed up his, his, his time at Chelsea. Um, just, unfortunately, some good, some bad. But, you know, I, all I'm saying is I don't think Mendy would... I think Mendy would have got to a few more of those penalties over him, me personally, especially the one where he's come off his wrist and he's just, you know what I mean, he's just letting it go in. And he kept dancing around. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, focus on, like, trying to save the ball kind of thing. He kept dancing around, jumping around the spot. And I can't help thinking of when um, Joe Hart was like that against um, Italy and um, Pirlo just chipped him down the middle just Penenka straight down the middle and just looked at him and jogged off and it's one of those ones where it is very simple when it comes to penalties kind of thing um, you can get into, obviously I don't I don't mind trash talking or whatever but in general just get close to at least one of them at least dive to one side you know when you see some penalties and the keeper just, the keeper stands doesn't even dive or anything like that it's just it's strange but yeah obviously these boys they did the job um I, we could talk about var and stuff i just I, I don't i'm tired i'm tired of talking about var man there's no point yeah, unless you guys want to touch on it but I, whatever it is nah, what nah, it nah. is nah. <laughs> it I, is I, what it is what i will say is i think in the i think um, in the summer i will look into trying to apply to sit apart from part from part-time job for var you know i can't even lie bruv that they, it must be possible because what these men are doing anyway you just decide yeah, whatever Liverpool want whatever Liverpool want just give it to them that, that's, mm. that's it you'll get the job uh, <laughs> and Barchester City as well yeah anyway <laughs> nah Liverpool <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> oh yeah I forgot we didn't even talk about that Man City game as well but uh, we're running out of time but um, oh conveniently yeah. we're, we're running out of time aren't we yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're running out of time man yeah. Sorry, man. Sorry to everybody who wanted to hear about Man City, but you know we had to celebrate Liverpool's um, success um, and give more more airtime to that. <laughs> Can I just say, um, I think yeah, Chelsea played a, a very good game, man. Um, it was an interesting final because I think both sides didn't didn't um, 
they, they didn't move from what they were doing. Both sides just stick. They, they just carried on doing what they were doing right until the end, you know. And I think Chelsea had, to be honest, they had the the, the better opportunities. So Liverpool was slightly fortunate. Um, but I don't think it's it's. I don't think you do see many finals like that. To be honest, there's a lot of clear cut chances, a lot of excitement. Um, and yeah, it was still close, and both, you know, I, I think both teams contributed to, to a good watch. So yeah, unlucky Chelsea, and yeah, yeah. Oh, I think and the can I just by saying, also, yeah, go on, Kofi. Yeah. I was going to say my last piece. For, we didn't mention Mo Salah once in this segment. That's all. It's okay. Best player in the world, well, seventh best player in the world. So you know, you have to. There's six more ahead of him, according to. The, the the ranking so you know and he didn't win the Afcon um so I guess I guess we'll see well at least he's won a trophy he won a trophy so big up Mo Salah you know what I mean one out of four for Liverpool you know we go again eh T listen I'm gonna close <laughs> this one off because I'm because I'm I'm, I'm 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 sick of this yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, it's gonna no but it's gonna be a proper race now. It is there's no there's no two ways about it. Like man obviously we can't go into full depth, but Man City's performance was not encouraging on the weekend. They look like they're shaking off a little bit of a rusty sort of patch in that. And Liverpool do not look like they're in that sort of situation. They look like they've got players ready to come in. So it's gonna be a proper slug until the end of the season. It's it's you, you can tell that it's gonna happen. And obviously we don't know what's gonna go on with the Champions League. So um, I'm sure in the weeks to come, T's going to get, you know, now he's going to want to engage a lot more, you know, I, I guarantee with his team doing well. So we'll, we'll leave you for now, T, but to be continued. <laughs> we'll see, man. There's lots of twists and turns to come, so we'll see. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Anyway, that was episode 25 of the Breakdown Podcast. Um, for those that's listening, if you've made it this far, thank you for listening in. Um, if you can, head to our YouTube channel. Um, just type in the Breakdown Podcast or type in the Football Supplement on uh, YouTube. Head to our uh, YouTube channel and um, hit the subscribe button because obviously we do want to kind of grow our subscribers and share it with somebody if you feel like they're interested in what we might be talking about. Um, but yeah, we'll see you next week, man.